This is sound advice from Ballard's accountants. Hi folks, my name's Ben Ullman. I'm a partner here at Ballard's and on today's Sound Advice podcast we have with us John Allen of Ballard's FS. John, you join us on a fairly grey summer's day. It's been pretty good so far, but it's uh, for me it's very exciting. It's an ashes summer. Do you follow the cricket at all? Yeah, I've been following the cricket thus far this summer. It's a bit of a disappointing first test, maybe an early, a slightly early declaration, but hopefully with a strong, uh, a strong bowling attack in the second test, we can see if we can uh, rattle off the Aussies and uh, level the series. But yeah, I'll be watching that throughout the summer. Well, they, they, today, as we record, they've had a little bit of an incident carrying some protesters off the pitch. So uh, let's at least keep that interesting. For appreciating that, not everybody here is a cricket fan. Us accountants certainly are, are, are nerds like that, so we like a bit of statistics in our sport. But we'll, we'll move on because today, John, you're here to talk to us about limited companies with excess cash in them and, and some of the options that are available to the owners of those businesses. Firstly, just can you give us a bit of background to yourself? Who are you? What are your interests? And how have you come to do what you do? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thank you for the introduction and inviting me along to the podcast today. Yeah, so my name's John. I work for a company called Boolers Pensions and Investment. So I'm one of six partners there. And Boolers have been trading from uh, from Leicester, which is a bit of a sort of a pensions and investments hotspot for um, for the past 40 years. Our relationship with Ballard's through Ballard's Financial Services is one of a joint venture. It's an opportunity for Ballard's uh, and the reputation and clients that they have with them to provide a level, an additional service within their business, one of financial advice and investment management. So we've, we've had the joint venture for many years now, and our goal really is to ensure that we complement the the sound advice that the Ballard's clients receive and extend the business thereafter. So it's another string to the bow and, uh, and one that's worked particularly well in recent years. The approach of having not only an accountant, but also a financial advisor in the room is one that brings untold benefits really to, to clients and, 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 and ensuring that their professional advisors are working together on a sound basis really, really helps enhance that relationship. So absolutely. So that's a bit of a background in terms of, in terms of Boolers and, and Ballard's financial services. In terms of myself, I'm actually fairly new to the world of, of financial services. I spent many years in a corporate world in fast-moving consumer goods, selling beer, working for one of the, the largest breweries not only in the country but in the world dealing with with some of their major sort of multiple uh, grocery accounts such as tesco and and sainsbury's morrison's but ultimately i got a a slightly slightly tired of the corporate world albeit not slightly tired of beer um and decided to to go in a different direction some seven or eight years ago at which point i uh i turned my turned my attention to financial planning i had a, a couple of friends in the industry one of which was 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 a partner at Boolers at the time, and and they invited me on, and it's uh, it's been a fruitful relationship since then. So a bit of a, a background for from my point of view. I mean, it's an interesting leap from beer to uh, pensions, but uh, I know which most of our listeners would prefer. Interesting times of beer as well. That's a really cutthroat market. It's not it's not the best. I mean, it's interesting that uh, I actually used to work for for um, the company that owns the the Budweiser and the Bud Light. Yeah. brands and Bud Lights had a, had a bit of a marketing disaster and they were in the US in the recent past and it's really started to sort of hit them so uh, probably not wasn't the worst time to not be part of that business at, at that point but uh, no, nevertheless it's, it's slightly different businesses but albeit hopefully the, the idea is that we both of those industries aim to try and make people a bit happier in life so <laughs> 
So we're here to really talk about a lot of companies are out there, small companies where the owners have traded for a long time and built up quite a bank of cash. Now these might be these might be lifestyle businesses, they might be, say, consultants who have very low costs and just really have their time, but they've built it out through a company because of the tax planning around that. But they've ended up at the end of this with a sometimes quite a significant cash balance, which isn't really doing anything in its corporate environment if it's sitting in a bank account. I suppose, firstly, from me, is this something you see often, John, Are these sort of companies out there? They certainly are in my world. We have plenty who have built up cash and not really done anything over the years. And now they've got a bit of a problem because they don't necessarily want to liquidate the company and pay a lot of tax getting it out. But what do you see in this world? Yeah, I think you're right there in terms of over the past five to six years, we've increasingly seen a lot of business owners, either in small family businesses, one director businesses, but generally, despite some of the, the economic backdrop, business has been positive and they've, jet, they've started to really generate significant levels of cash. Now, for the majority of people, their job is running the business in terms of day-to-day and ensuring that business, the business continues to grow in many in many respects. A lot of business owners will want to manage their tax position in terms of personal income. And so keeping to within the £100,000 of income limit, it tends to be one of the, the first things on an agenda when speaking with either yourself or or somebody like, like a financial planner like me. But um, And that then creates an issue you in terms of, well, if they're making significant profits, what, what do we do with that cash? Clearly, the options, there's the several options in, in terms of immediate business uh, priorities. You could reinvest that money into the business in order to try and grow. A lot of business owners will take advantage of things such as, as pension contributions, which should, be, again, be, be one of the top one of the top strategies in terms of profit extraction. But thereafter, we do see an increasing number of cases whereby business owners are sitting on large portions of cash that they're not quite sure what to do with. And I suppose just to touch on a few things you you said there. Firstly, you, you mentioned the £100,000 limit, or not limit, but threshold. I'm going to ask you a second why that's significant, but I guess it's worth going back to explain why maybe somebody might have run their, for example, consultancy business through a limited company rather than as a sole trader. And I guess this is this is down to normally the corporation tax rates tend to be lower than income tax rates, certainly when you get into higher rate, additional rate income tax. And if you are putting all your profits into a company, but not actually requiring all those profits out to live, then it makes sense to have a limited company as opposed to sole trader where you are taxed on your profits full stop, whether you draw them out of your business bank account or not. But what do you mean about this £100,000 limit? What's the What's the significance of that? Well, the, the key significance to the £100,000 limit is the the loss of the personal allowance in excess of that. So the personal allowance being the first £12,500 that a person earns typically is, is subject to a zero rate of tax. So the first £12,500 is, is tax-free. Thereafter, you have the basic rate of tax, which t- typically runs from £12,500 to £50,000. And then you have a, 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 an addition, a higher rate of tax that runs in excess of that. 
which has recently changed and that now runs up to £125,000, give or take. Now, when a person has income in excess of £100,000, the personal allowance is lost at a rate of two to one, meaning that for every £2 in excess of £100,000, you use a pound of your personal allowance. The maths there being between £100 and £125,000, you will have lost all of your personal allowance and therefore you'll have no, no access to a zero rate of tax for any of your income. Now, if you're on income tax rates, a standard 2040, 45% income tax rather than dividend income tax, that effectively sees a tax rate of 60%, which Absolutely. I think we'll all agree most people would like to try and avoid if possible. And that's why for the majority of cases that we see, there are exceptions, but for the majority, we tend to see people, certainly whether whether generating significant revenues within their business or personally, try and manage their income to £100,000. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it feels like I'm giving you a bit of a tax quiz here, John, when I, <laughs> I'm a tax advisor as well, but, but uh, it, it, you can explain it a lot better than me. The other thing you mentioned, I guess, is one of the ways that people do extract value from their limited companies already is through dividends, which are taxed at slightly lower rates, but albeit still at similar rates to to normal income, to earned income. And and often, as that's why I mentioned earlier, you know, if you use a limited company and then draw the money out, sometimes it's not actually that tax efficient to have a limited company. But if you leave the money in, then you are only paying the corporation tax rate until you actually need the money out of the company. But you also touched on pension contributions as one way of, um, or one of the best ways, in my opinion, of profit extraction. Can you explain a little bit how that works in the context of a limited company and a single owner, for example? Yeah, absolutely. So the pension contributions are the number one strategy really for a, a limited company owner. The, the key benefit of a pension contribution is, is profit extraction without exposure to tax. So pension contributions count as a, you know, a trading expense, it means that they are you're able to offset a pension contribution against your corporation tax relief. So if the company wishes to make what is this year a £60,000, which is the annual allowance, it's the maximum amount in an individual year a person can receive into their pension. If a person chooses to make a £60,000 contribution from their business, they will receive £60,000 into their pension. But not only that, but also in the current tax regime of 25% corporation tax, a £15,000 tax saving in terms of their corporation tax bill. So as a method of profit extraction, it, it is it's difficult to beat a uh, zero tax income strategy. Yeah, it well, can't be beaten really, I feel. The, the, the thing which is the only sort of wrinkle which you don't really have to try very hard to get around, but is that for corporation tax deductibility purposes, that director we say can't be paid more than effectively a market rate when you add up all their salary and pension contributions dividends are separate dividends are a, a distribution of profit but when you're looking at the deductibility of a pension contribution you just need to add it to the salary that that director has and maybe any benefits and provided it's a reasonable remuneration that you'd give a third party for that for that work then it's completely deductible so we do have Clients who take a small salary for national insurance purposes, sort of, or usually hovers around about the 9K mark, they might take then £60,000 pension contributions and maybe £30,000 of dividends. That's completely fine as long as that, that um, £69,000 of, of pension and pay is is reasonable for what they do. That's, that's absolutely fine. I'm going to end that tax quiz for you. Uh, hot shot and 
then ask you when there's this cash balance that hasn't been taken out of the company sitting there is it a bad thing to have a big cash balance what what are your opinions on that i think historically it has been i mean most of the clients that we work with you know once they've made made full use of pension contributions and they've taken dividends up to the 100,000 you know typically there is there is still additional cash in there that maybe isn't necessarily used for for the growth of the business or for working capital having excess cash in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing subject to the the owners understanding what the the purpose of that balance that cash balance is now over the past decade prior to 2022 cash balances have been exactly that they've been in cash um you don't need me to tell you where interest rates have been and, and typically a, a business account would have been getting somewhere that have been lucky to get one percent more likely you know half a percent or below and therefore the longer that you leave that cash in the business and not putting it to work the more chance that you've got of the risk of inflation which has become very hot topic in the last 18 months as we exit the pandemic and so whilst a lot of business owners may just leave the cash there and not want to put it to not want to take a risk with that cash actually the the greater risk is leaving it in cash for the longer term and having that money erode in value over the over a five ten year period the other the key blocker to that for the majority of the time is typically people are too busy running the business to think about it and or just a general sense of inertia they don't quite know what to do you know okay well i know i shouldn't have it in cash but i'm not quite sure what my options are beyond that mm, and i i have a, a similar sentiment as all from a sort of trading point of view when i see to my businesses and I, i'm more talking about the ones who aren't aren't sort of shall I say consultancy companies but they are they are trading businesses with working capital requirements suppliers to pay etc I get very worried about having large cash balances because it can often kick the can down the line when it comes to our oh, things aren't going so well oh well we've at least got the cash in the bank to see ourselves through when actually things aren't going so well and you need to make some significant changes rather than let's just seek it out because those are your profits sitting there in your cash like you that's what you've earned to date it gives people sometimes a a false sense of comfort to know it's there but as i say it often kicks that decision down the line to make a significant change when one is required so the, the, from a trading point of view I, I i do get very very worried sometimes when balances build up i mean there's opportunity costs as well i i, I can think of a, a a client i've speaking spoken to recently who who has has a large cash balance but then there's an opportunity now to invest in the business fairly significantly and they don't need to borrow so much but as long as that's part of your plan that's fine but as you say the inertia is that it's the killer here exactly that and i think you can there's lots of different ways to invest you know you, okay holding cash technically is an investment albeit it won't feel like one to most people maybe over the past six months we're talking now in june 2023 and interest rates are the highest they've been for for over 15 years so okay you can maybe get a slightly better return on, on cash in the current climate but that's not going to last forever and so yes cash in and itself can be considered an investment but there's probably much more appropriate investments to be made in the longer term that and one of those investments legitimately is reinvest in your business you know put that money to work but typically you do get some businesses that that's not an option you know may have one owner one director and they don't really want to bring on additional staff or grow the business in that way so they do then end up just sort of accumulating cash that they aren't going to reinvest in their business and therefore they should probably look towards other types of investment that are available to them so we've covered reinvesting in the business and we've mentioned briefly pensions as profit extraction what are the other options you're talking about there then that are available 
I mean, the most common ones that we see and, and deal with on a, on a, I guess, on a day-to-day basis, and we have a mixture of these within our, within our client bank, is equity investments, stocks and shares. People will know them in a bit more of a familiar term, and or property, and that property investment could be residential or commercial. There's no doubt in the UK that we have another affair with property and certainly residential property. A lot of people, not just with surplus cash in their business, they, they like the idea of owning a, a buy-to-let as an example. People are probably a little bit less familiar with commercial property and the only experience that they've got of stocks and shares or equity investments is within their pension, their workplace pension or, or similar. So they're the most common and most easy to understand in terms of what are the, the easy options for, for a more diversified investment strategy. Yeah. And often with the equity investments, I think there's there's a, a, a key thing here also for a limited company. By and large, it's not an not not one hundred percent, but by and large, dividends can be tax free for that company. Yeah, that's true. Within a portfolio, typically within a an investment portfolio of that nature, the you will that portfolio will naturally generate a level of dividends, and obviously, yeah, there's no further further tax on them because it, it's already been taxed. So having them into a a limited company structure would would be a benefit there. Absolutely. And property, again, is something I see quite a lot of. And you know, I think that the, you mentioned residential properties, the, the commercial option as well. I think the key thing also with these things and the equities is you just you look at the, the, the structure of the business as well, just to make sure you don't cause yourself any issues with capital taxes, capital gains tax or inheritance tax. And I mean, I just, it's a bit too much of a rabbit warren to go down now because we could speak for half an hour on that. But it's the sort of caveat I'm putting in there is get the tax advice around those those investments, but uh, somebody like uh, yourself can really make the, um, the the cash work for the businesses. And, and ha- yeah, I think the main the main thing here is is making sure that your hard earned money does not decrease in value over the longer term. That should be the minimum objective for any investment of this nature. Yes, it's nice to to achieve returns in excess of of inflation in order to achieve longer term growth, but ultimately it has to start with. I need my money to keep pace with with the world, and therefore I've got to look for a most, the most suitable investment. I think when we consider the benefits and drawbacks of equity-based investing, stocks and shares versus property, there's there's several different areas that you could you could look at. Clearly, equity-based investing is something that we offer to clients. We offer our own in-house discretionary investment management service, so we're very well we understand that world very well, and so that tends to be where we, we would lean the advice, albeit we do have a lot of exposure to property within our pensions offering, which we can we can cover in, on another day. If we're comparing some of the, the initial drawbacks, the obvious ones, when it comes to things like stocks and shares, the, the obvious example to that is if, certainly if you work with an investment manager, is it's very hands-off. It's very easy for, for somebody to work with a professional, have a portfolio established based on risk based on objective and effectively hands off and defer that the management of that to a third party you don't have to get involved on a, on a daily basis in terms of picking the stocks picking the funds and you'll typically can get regular updates you know quarterly evaluations typically an annual review of that and it can become quite a hands-off easy experience the flip side to that is you're likely to be paying someone for that service, but they're doing a good job. Hopefully, you would see the rewards from that anyway. It's like paying somebody to do a, a job that you don't want to do or can't do. So I think that this, this, from that point of view, it's a very simple world. The, the other main drawback that people will struggle with at times, and certainly depending on their time horizon, is volatility. You know, clearly, as we've seen in, in the recent past, markets can be volatile and, and in a 
doesn't matter how you structure an equity-based portfolio, you can't defy gravity. If the general sentiment in the, in, in the world is one that sees markets slightly depressed, then it's likely whatever kind of portfolio you've made will follow that pattern. However, if, if, as long as your time horizon is strong enough, and typically that would be a minimum of five years, then that would significantly dampen that volatility. You, you have that volatility along the way, but the overall risk of that portfolio is, is significantly reduced the longer that you hold on to those those assets. Absolutely. And it's something I, I, I remind my clients quite quite a bit of when they come in and complain about their pensions of the last few years is really tanked and, and just say, well, you know, this is a long-term thing. You you don't look at the last few years, you look at since day one and where are you going? And exactly. You've got you've got to remember the objective and, and in the time horizon. It, clients do have a tendency to bank their gains and, and not feel so good about their, you know, any decline in the value of their portfolio. But ultimately it's very difficult to find a five year period whereby you start with an amount, hold it for five years, and at the end of that five years it's worth less than what you started with. And typically well in excess of what you would have earned by holding that money in the bank. It's almost impossible to find a five-year period, you know, on a, on a fairly sort of standard medium risk portfolio. So yes, it, it can be a bumpy ride. Typically the first year, year and a half tends to be where clients will either get their comfort or discomfort, but ultimately over, you know, over the longer term, you should see the, the returns, returns of the risk that you're taking. If we consider that, or if we compare something like equities to property, both residential and commercial, one of the, clearly one of the key downsides to something like property property is is management Who, who's going to manage that property for you because certainly with a residential property you know the yields tend to be fairly low so if you're then bringing on a property manager you're eating into that yield even further typically people investing in residential property for capital growth is the primary sort of driver behind that and, and equally with residential pro- uh, with commercial property excuse me then it's you, you're looking at slightly higher yields so it might not be the worst thing to pay a, an agent to manage that for you but the capital growth over the longer term might not be what you're, you're looking for. Certainly, if you'd have been in areas such as office space, you know, over the past three or four years, that the value of office space would have decreased significantly with the change in working patterns and people working from home. So all of these investments come with various different, you know, upsides and downsides. Tax being another primary one with with property. Typically, you buy a property, you've got to pay stamp duty. That's money you never see again. Mm. And isn't certainly isn't going to be sort of baked into any future sale or, or anything like that. So solicitor's fees stamp duty taxes or or provide a, a comparable sort of benchmark when you when you're looking across all of the other different investments that you consider but i think that the key thing also you mentioned these drawbacks but there is considerable upside to some of these investments and one of the main ones being that your cash is actually doing something or should be doing something has the potential to do something and not erode in value over time and you've got to be in it to win it i think is probably the expression i'm reaching for there but you you also mentioned your expression time horizon which i think is really important here and long-term planning because these might be trading businesses that build up a surplus of cash which is turned into equity investments which is turned into property investments and after all all the sort of profit extraction required has has occurred you may want to think about your succession planning and passing this these assets on to the next generation as almost a family investment company and keeping the corporate structure and and, and doing other things with the shares so it means that your your next generation can benefit from them if you no longer need to as it were so and i, I guess you see quite a few uh, well fixed family investment companies that you handle it without doubt they've certainly become a lot more popular in the probably in the past decade or so not only do they work from an initial 
ring fencing from tax, as we've discussed in, in this meeting, but they go on beyond that and in, in, in bring in elements such as inheritance tax planning, bringing in the next generation as, as shareholders. And again, it's around preservation of wealth to a certain extent, management of the tax position without doubt. So I think the extension of a trading company becoming a family investment company is a very, can be a very natural one for businesses that aren't likely to achieve a sale. Where the, where the owner is the business, as it were. And so the same principles apply in terms of making those investments for the longer term, making sure that your money isn't just sitting in cash. Clearly, cash has a role to play, but you've got to focus on what the long-term objective is. And ultimately, you want the, the, the hard-earned money to provide some longevity both to you and your family. Yeah, for these businesses where the cash has been built up, that's just the starting point, really, for a longer longer conversation, as it were. Yeah, so just... um. Just to summarise the few the few takeaways I've I've had from this conversation, I guess firstly that there are several options available to you when you've got large cash balances within a company. Really, the the reason for exploring these options is is really to protect the wealth you've you've built up in that company and, and make it really make it do something for you. We discussed well the the trading side of things, reinvesting, which is very very important, but but also you know pensions as profit extraction for for directors. We've discussed equity investments and the the drawbacks and benefits of those, and and also briefly touched on on property. I I think the key thing I want to get across here from what what I learned today is is don't don't let the I think your word was inertia creep in when it comes to your your profits you've built up. Make them work. Have a conversation about the options. Speak to, well, I know if you speak to your accountant, speak to your financial advisor. Hopefully it's uh, myself and John. But don't just leave the cash there and make it do something. John, thank you for your time. And I found that very interesting. And I do apologise for quizzing you on tax when that's my job. But Hopefully I passed. Uh, we'll, we'll find out when the letters start coming in. We'll, we'll add a disclaimer to the end of this. I'm going to uh, go off to check on the cricket score because it's been at least 35 minutes and I'm getting a little bit cold turkey. So all that remains for me to say is uh, thank you for listening. If you do have any questions on any of this, our contact details will be attached to this podcast. We'd always welcome a conversation and I think conversation is the, the first step to really making some significant changes for the best. So thank you very much and this has been Ballard's Sound Advice.